are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Dyker. Thanks for joining me for episode 38, RBG. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. Only a few people are known by a single name. Cher, Bono, Sting, Prince, and even fewer are known by their initials. JFK, FDR, LBJ, MLK. And there's surely only one judge that rises to that level of fame. RBG. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG. Beyond her status as a pop culture icon, Justice Ginsburg was unquestionably one of the most influential figures in American jurisprudence. Justice Ginsburg defied gender boundaries throughout her legal career, leading her to a historic appointment to our nation's highest court. She was remembered for her withering dissents and an unrivaled work ethic that drove the Supreme Court for nearly three decades. There's so much to say about RBG, and I don't want to steal the thunder from my guests. The folks you'll hear from on this episode are, mostly, members of Florida's appellate community, and all of them were touched by Justice Ginsburg. The most respectful way seemed to be to let them tell their stories in their own words. Hello, my name is Courtney Brewer, and I'm an appellate attorney in Tallahassee, Florida, with Bishop and Mills. It's been one week since we learned the very sad news about Justice Ginsburg passing away, and although I don't quite feel ready to talk about it, I am going to try to do so for my friend Dwayne, and it's a pay tribute to her and the many lessons she taught me. I will share with you one of them. Uh, Justice Ginsburg was just an icon. She was brilliant and hardworking, and I have an action figure of her in my office, and although I've never pretended that I could amount or accomplish all the things that she accomplished, uh, I have kind of developed a mantra as I've been thinking about her and the lessons I, I learned from her that if RBG could do it, I can certainly at least try. And so to share with you a few stories about her, I never had the honor to meet her, but I had the extreme privilege to be in her presence a few times back in the 2009-2010 term of the U.S. Supreme Court. And so starting in the fall of 2009, I was then working at the Florida Solicitor General's office, and we had a number of cases that went to the U.S. Supreme Court that year. And I had the honor of sitting as second chair on two of them. I didn't have to argue them, but I was second chair. Uh, Then Solicitor General Scott Makar argued the cases, and... We were first up that morning, and I was so nervous, I can't even tell you, even though I knew I didn't have to say a single word, I just, the butterflies were incredible. It really, it's astonishing to be there, and then it really is the case that you are just sitting so close to that bench, and so they open court, and the justices come out, and Scalia is like, right in front of me and there was Breyer and Thomas and I'm scanning the bench and I'm feeling my knees starting to lock and then I see Justice Ginsburg and you know she's on the other side of the room but I just drew such strength from seeing her and thinking about how she had been there arguing cases 
decades before at a time there aren't a lot of women that argue cases at the US Supreme Court now but she was doing it at a time where I think it was it was really rare and so I think from then on it was if RBG can do it then I can at least try I took a deep breath and I very much enjoyed the experience of being there at that day flashing forward to the spring again such a privilege i had the opportunity to serve as a fellow with the national association of attorneys general for 3 months in dc you go and watch the supreme court arguments you watch them read opinions whenever they're in session you go sit there and then you write about it later it was an incredible experience and so obviously i got to see justice ginsburg a lot every time the court was in session and i also took it upon myself to really embrace the opportunity of being in dc and went to every panel discussion i could find about the law and the supreme court and one of those happened to be a discussion about women in the law and it featured justice ginsburg as well as pam carlin from the stanford uh, supreme court clinic and uh, patricia millet who would go on to become a dc circuit judge and i just remember justice ginsburg talking about so many things so much great advice for all of the female attorneys law students and male attorneys and law students about the law and life and the big thing that really stuck with me was her focus on her partner her husband and how important having him in her life was and she joked about what a terrible cook she was and what a wonderful cook he was and how lucky she was for that but it really struck me um i was recently married and you know we were kind of figuring out how do you have a career and a family and here she was talking about how important it was to keep that part of yourself as you were you know advancing in your career and doing the brilliant things that she did and so once again if rbg can do it then i might as well try and it gave me a great deal of comfort and i think that human side of her is really what has always resonated with so many and so finally my third story on this theme that i've developed it comes later in the term it was actually the last day of that term and it was it happened to be the day justice stevens was retiring and this was his last day on the bench they were reading opinions you know it's late june it's going to be the big opinions of the year and very very sadly justice ginsburg's husband marty ginsburg had passed away the day before i believe And so there was a lot of talk in the Supreme Court bar that day about, you know, is she going to be here? But sure enough, she came out and was there for the last day when big opinions were read and I think to honor her friend, Justice Stevens, who was retiring. And so that was a lesson that I've thought about often, but it really resonated with me on the day after we had heard Justice Ginsburg passed away um because I had to get up and and it was my son's birthday and you know I needed to be there for him and then I had to the next day start getting ready for an OA that I had last week and it felt nearly impossible but I thought about her getting up and showing up for work and being there for her friend on you know throughout her heartbreak still showing up for the people she loves and the things she believes in and i thought to myself if rbg can do it then i better try this is denine waslick from dpw legal and i have three brief stories to share about ruth bader ginsburg and what she means to me i actually first met 
Justice Ginsburg when she was still Judge Ginsburg on the D.C. Circuit, and I was studying at Cornell in Washington, and um, she agreed to meet with several of us students who were studying there, and she was so amazingly personable and came down from the bench and right up to the gallery where we were sitting and spoke with us um, at length about how to become a lawyer and what that meant. And it really is part of what inspired me to actually go to law school, um, to see someone from my alma mater be so successful as a lawyer and a woman and a mother and all of those things together. Um, and so when I did finally go to law school, at that point she was on the Supreme Court. And I remember reading the things that she was writing. Um, and her decision in a particular case is what inspired me to get interested in copyright law. Um, the two live crew case, my, um, my professor for copyright law had clerked for her and she had just decided that case, just written the majority opinion. Um, and the image of diminutive Justice Ginsburg listening to hardcore rap and determining that it was First Amendment parody just really got me very interested in copyright law. And so I went on to study that. Um, my third sort of encounter with Justice Ginsburg was attending oral arguments for a case that I had helped to work on and listening to her ask just such incisive questions um, just really inspired me. And then, of course, in the more recent years when she became very popular, um, I really have appreciated sharing my love of Justice Ginsburg with my children. I have two sons, one of whom wants to be a lawyer when he grows up. And I remember taking him to um, the women lawyers screening of the Justice Ginsburg uh, documentary and him being so outraged by the sexism that was presented in that documentary. And so, um, so, uh, so admirable of the decision to use male plaintiffs to break down barriers. And I just think that she has inspired many, many generations of lawyers and would-be lawyers and just women in general. And so I am very appreciative to all that she did for our profession and for our community and for our country. Hi there, this is Nick Shanine. I'm an attorney in Orlando, Florida, an appellate practitioner, and a longtime fan of the amazing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG. Uh, Dwayne Diker, thank you for doing your podcast and for allowing everyone the opportunity to share our thoughts on the passing of truly one of the greatest jurists of our lifetime easily, but uh, it's not hyperbole to simply say ever. Uh, what she has done, her elevation of her craft, is something that uh, you know teams of writers have already storied, and correctly so. Um, obviously, uh, lots of people will have already provided their thoughts on what she has done to inspire women everywhere, uh, and to lift women, and to elevate women into the roles of equality and beyond. The quote, when there are nine, is uh, is legend. And uh, I'm going to instead let those comments come from others, even though I've already just added some of my own, uh, and instead talk about the universality of what RBG has done for us. And that is this, that she has also 
elevated at a time of anti-science, of a, at a time where intellectualism is sometimes sneered at as elites. Uh, she has become an icon for her sheer force of mental acumen and legal skill. Uh, that is something that should be cherished. Uh, people have often gravitated to someone brilliant as someone that they could look up to. You know, Albert Einstein was definitely such a person. Uh, Stephen Hawking followed uh, a playwright, Arthur Miller. Do you have others that sometimes would capture the imagination of the people and become something larger than the thing that they did? People didn't know necessarily what Einstein had proven or its importance. And part of that is that no one could know the importance of what he did until years after he had done it. Uh, but people celebrated in the achievement of what he was, of this massive intellectual who was one of us and elevated us and gave us an inspiration to look to. That is what RBG did. She was this generation's intellectual diminutive not someone who would charge into a battlefield with a sword but instead from her office with her pen could do more than generals than presidents she was able to become that spirit that captured America's attention of what it means to be someone who is absolutely brilliant and to be celebrated for her brilliance and so that is the takeaway I'm going to give for what she meant to me and meant to America as a whole. That when we celebrate uh, Kardashians or other football players or non-intellectuals to have someone of her status elevate what it means to be smart and skilled regardless of gender. She was Amazing. Rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You are and will be sorely missed. My name is Calista Grable, and I'm a senior at American University in Washington, D.C. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had a tremendous influence in why I'll be attending law school in the fall of next year. My love and admiration for her developed strongly through my parents. Although both of my parents practice very different types of law, with my mom practicing appellate and my dad practicing family law, when I asked them their reasoning as to why they decided to go to law school, their answers were always the same, to help their community. And that's exactly what RBG did. She fought for the rights of the community through her passion of law. She's the reason why I have many of the rights that I have today, and she will continue to be my inspiration. One quote of hers that I will always carry with me is reacting in anger or annoyance will not advance one's ability to persuade. I believe with a lot of the hyperpartisanship that exists today, many people forget that persuasion is more achievable when you try to understand your adversary's argument. I hope that I can develop the same power of persuasion that she carried with her so that I can be an effective advocate for human rights. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. They can be reached at www.courtsurety.com 
or toll free at 877-810-5525. Their contact information is always in the show notes. I suggest you take an opportunity right now, add CSBA's contact information to your own contact list so that you're ready the next time your client needs a court bond. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA as a longtime sponsor of the podcast. CSBA is a national agency, but they're very involved in the local Florida appellate community. In fact, CSBA is a global sponsor of the appellate practice section of the Florida Bar. If you want to learn more about supersedious bonds, check out episode 9 of this podcast, Nothing Rhymes with Supersedious, and the in-depth discussion with CSBA President Dan Huckabay. Next time your client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. Hi, Dwayne. It's Marie Borland, just calling in um, to thank you for allowing me to participate in this podcast as you're honoring the life of Justice Ginsburg this week. You had asked that I provide you know, reflections on what Justice Ginsburg meant to me as an appellate lawyer, which I've been for 30 years, and I'm not sure if that's really what you've limited you know, other people's viewpoints to as well. But as I was reflecting on what to say on your podcast, it occurred to me that I really couldn't limit what I think about or feel about Justice Ginsburg to this particular practice of law, given that I, as a woman, you know, obviously have benefited from from her decades-long fight for gender equality and probably wouldn't be in the position I'm in today, having been able to go through law school 30 years ago and become a senior partner in my law firm. But as I reflected even more, and also after watching the movie On the Basis of Sex this weekend, which I hadn't seen before, it really occurred to me that uh, I really owe Justice Ginsburg a debt of gratitude as a mother, even more so than as an appellate lawyer. In my case, in my eighth year of practice, and right after I became a shareholder, I became a widow, which caused me not only to be the only parent to my son, but also our family's sole income provider. And as I watched the movie, and I saw all that she had to go through, that she, um, the way she was treated in law school, the way she was treated by the dean of Harvard, um, her inability to get a job after graduation, even though she graduated at the top of her class, you know, how she had to just fight in order to be able to fight for other people. I thought how different my life really could have been had it not been for her and the example that she set and her trailblazing through her courage and conviction. So when I posted on Facebook this week that I owed her a debt of gratitude, you know, as a 30-year appellate lawyer and a shareholder in my firm, you called me after after that and asked me if I wanted to participate in the podcast, which of course I did. But I guess I would say on reflection um, that I really owe her a personal debt of gratitude as a mother because my life um, has really benefited and my son's life has benefited from what she did. And I'm just really honored to be able to, in some way, say thank you to her. Uh, And unfortunately, I will never meet her in my lifetime. But um, I'm just honored to be able to participate in your podcast, Dwayne, and just say a personal thank you to a woman who um, just obviously has had a lot of significance in the trajectory of my life. I'm Pam Diker-Mitta. I've been a law professor for more than 25 years at Cleveland Marshall College of Law in Cleveland, Ohio. Our law school has a proud history. We were the first law school in the state of Ohio to admit women. 
In fact, a woman could go to law school at Cleveland Marshall many years before she could vote in the United States. As I'm sitting here in my office at Cleveland Marshall, I'm looking at the two superhero figurines I have on my desk. The first is LeBron James, who helped lead the Cleveland Cavaliers to an NBA championship and brought glory to our beautiful city. And the second superhero figurine is that of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who ushered in gender equality and brought glory to our beautiful country. LBJ and RBG are both on my law school desk because I want all my students, especially female students, to be proud of our city and to be proud of the legal profession they are about to enter. We know that fictional superheroes wear capes, but real superheroes wear size 15 sneakers, and superheroes most definitely wear judicial robes. Rest in peace, Justice Ginsburg. Your superhero power lives on in the hearts of law students and lawyers everywhere. Thanks to Duane for this platform for all of us to remember Justice Ginsburg. She was undoubtedly a judicial powerhouse, a lifelong champion of civil rights, and, after a particular dissent caught the eye of a law student with a blog in 2013, a pop culture icon. I wanted to speak to Justice Ginsburg's most impactful opinions for this podcast. But as I researched, I found myself listening to several interviews she's given over the years. I even listened to her swearing-in speech from 1993. I got lost in the depths of YouTube for hours, listening to her late into the night. It was a welcome refresher that redoubled my appreciation for her unmatched devotion to the law and civil rights. Several times in these interviews, Justice Ginsburg mentioned which opinions she thought were most important. That seems like a better way to spend a few minutes here than what I had planned. So, with that, I'd like to share a few of Justice Ginsburg's own selections. First, she noted two majority opinions that she thought most advanced civil liberties. The first is one I think almost everybody has heard of, United States versus Virginia Military Institute, a 1996 decision. In that case, the Virginia Military Institute had a male-only admission policy. It utilized a militaristic educational and training style. An anonymous female high school student lodged a complaint with the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice then sued VMI for violating the Equal Protection Clause. After an appeal, Virginia was tasked with fixing the problem. But rather than admit women to VMI, Virginia proposed to create a separate Voluntary Women's Institute for Leadership. The case went back up the chain to the Supreme Court, where Justice Ginsburg wrote for a 7-1 majority, rejecting the plan as unconstitutional. The court held that VMI's exclusion of women wasn't substantially related to an important governmental objective. That established intermediate scrutiny for gender-based classification that still prevails today. The court also found that separate women's program was inferior, built on outdated and generic presumptions, and totally insufficient to pass constitutional muster. In a later interview, Justice Ginsburg explained that a woman should have the same opportunity to attend VMI as a man, without artificial barriers, if she is ready, willing, and able to do so. Justice Ginsburg also mentioned the case of MLB versus SLJ, a 1996 case that I'll admit I had not heard before. MLB was a woman whose parental rights were to be terminated. She lost, but the state of Mississippi required a person who wanted to appeal in a civil case needed to pay for a transcript. And MLB had no money to do so. Justice Ginsburg persuaded a 6-3 to three majority of the court that losing parental rights was just as devastating, if not more so, than being imprisoned. She wrote, We place decrees forever terminating parental rights in the category of cases in which the state may not bolt the door to equal justice. 
recognizing that parental termination decrees are among the most severe forms of state action. The ruling required Mississippi to provide a transcript for a person to appeal from such an order if that person could not afford to do so herself. Justice Ginsburg also shared several of her most important dissents in her eyes. The first resulted from the Carhartt cases out of Nebraska. So first, in Stenberg v. Carhartt, a majority decision by Justice Breyer, with whom Justice Ginsburg joined, uh, that opinion held that a Nebraska law that outlawed a particular abortion procedure known as dilation and evacuation was unconstitutional. In response, Congress passed the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act in 2003, which outlawed a variation of that same procedure known generically as partial birth abortion. So in a new case, doctors challenged the constitutionality of that act, and the case returned to the Supreme Court in Gonzales v. Carhartt. Justice Kennedy wrote for a 5-4 majority that held the act constitutional. Part of the court's reasoning was that the act had a legitimate purpose to protect mothers who may regret having an abortion after the fact. Justice Ginsburg wrote a scathing dissent, taking the court to task on that claim and others. As she elaborated in a later interview, she said that the majority was treating women as children. Women should be presumed to be perfectly capable of making their own life choices. Justice Ginsburg said the court was out of line for thinking it was its job to protect a woman from her own judgment. In another dissent, Shelby County v. Holder in 2013, a provision of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 required states and counties with a history of discriminatory voting practices to obtain federal permission before changing voting procedures. But in this decision, several decades later, a 5-4 court held that the provision was unconstitutional because the formula to identify those counties subject to this restriction was out of date. Justice Ginsburg wrote the dissent, recognizing the ramifications of throwing away the entire preclearance provision that had worked for so long. She said, Throwing out preclearance when it has worked and is continuing to work to stop discriminatory changes is like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet. In interviews after the decision, Justice Ginsburg described this majority decision as, quote, the worst, unquote. She said that it had been passed by Johnson and renewed by several presidents since, and that elected officials were simply in a better position to understand the issues involved in this case than the unelected judges who decided to strike it down. On a positive note, uh, Justice Ginsburg smiled when asked about her favorite dissent. She said it was in Ledbetter v. Goodyear Tire and Rubber in 2007. Lily Ledbetter worked at a Goodyear Tire plant in Alabama as an area manager, the first woman in that position. She worked there for nearly 20 years. Upon her retirement, someone put a slip of paper in her mailbox listing what her male area manager counterparts were making. All of them were substantially higher and, in fact, the young man she had just trained for her job was earning more than she was. Ledbetter sued for discrimination and won a sizable jury verdict, but the majority in the Supreme Court held that she had sued too late, that she would have had to have sued within 180 days of the implementation of the improper pay structure nearly two decades prior for the bulk of her claim. Ginsburg wrote the dissent on the theory that every paycheck received renewed the claim for discriminatory treatment. In an interview, she explained that in the real world, the first woman in a job traditionally held by men doesn't want to be known as a troublemaker. Maybe Miss Ledbetter did not even know about the pay difference at the time. But even if she did know early on, and sued early on, the employer would have used the defense that the new person doesn't do the job as well as the others. That defense would have disappeared over the years as Miss Ledbetter gained experience and positive reviews, but by then, according to the majority, she would have been too late to do anything about it. 
Justice Ginsburg was proud of the tagline she included in her dissent. The ball is now in Congress's court to correct the error into which my colleagues have fallen. And Congress acted. They passed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, bipartisan le legislation that allowed a person to sue for discrimination 180 days after the last paycheck. It was the first piece of legislation that President Barack Obama signed when he took office. On a personal note, I'm glad Dwayne asked me to speak on this podcast because otherwise I would not have listened to Justice Ginsburg for all those hours, listened to her explain her decisions and her ideology outside of her written work. She truly was a national treasure whose impact will be felt forever and whose guidance will be missed. Hi, I'm Sarah Lalu Amin. I'm an appellate lawyer in Tampa, Florida and past chair of the appellate practice section of the Florida Bar. I'm pleased and humbled to share in commemorating the legendary Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg by speaking to the ideals she represents to me. When I think about Justice Ginsburg, what I really marvel at is her courage in standing for gender equality. In her time as a Supreme Court Justice, both on and off the bench, as well as her extensive career before her appointment. And what I've always been so inspired by is the way that she went about it. Justice Ginsburg had uncompromising principles when it came to gender equality, and she spoke about it with passion and she wrote about it with conviction, but not in a way that alienated those who didn't agree, but in a way that really made you think and consider her point of view. Justice Ginsburg shaped and solidified so many rights that I have as a woman, and I'm so grateful for that, and I'll always be inspired by the way that she went about it. So I'll end with a quote from Justice Ginsburg, and it's one of my favorites. Fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. To me, nothing could exemplify her more. I want to thank Dwayne Diker and the Issues on Appeal podcast for this opportunity to share. For a nation that's grieving the loss of a legend, celebrating the ways that Justice Ginsburg inspired us is a really beautiful way for us to honor her and find comfort. So thanks again. My name is Kimberly Jones. I'm a partner at a national law firm. I handle multi-million dollar litigation and manage a team of lawyers across three offices. I was incredibly lucky to have the privilege to start my career as a young lawyer clerking for two brilliant judges in the Second District Court of Appeal in the Florida Supreme Court. I am now chair-elect of the Florida Bar's Appellate Practice Section. And all of this, these incredible opportunities and experiences, is in part because of Justice Ginsburg. Because of her and her work for gender equality, my mother taught me that nothing was off limits. She encouraged me to go to college, to pursue law school, and to chase a challenging career, even when I was not sure I was up for it. Justice Ginsburg helped make a better path for women lawyers. She was a role model for me, an example that women could be powerful, brilliant, and strong. I think that because of her, I was able as a young lawyer to meet other powerful, brilliant, and strong attorneys like Kristen Norse and Selene Humphreys, who inspired me with their excellence and introduced me to Fall, an important association for women attorneys in Florida, and the Bar's Appellate Practice Section, a collegial group of grammar fanatics and fantastic lawyers. Team 2 Space for Life, by the way. I cannot put together the words to describe Justice Ginsburg or thank her for her influence on my life. What I can say is that many nights my daughter wants to read her RBG book. She's only 19 months old, so I don't know how much she understands yet. Last weekend, though, as I grieved for the loss of Justice Ginsburg, 
My daughter picked up the book and brought it to me. She sat in my lap, and I read to her, Ruth is smart, Ruth is strong, Ruth is a leader. She's a feminist, and she believes the world can get better only if every person has an equal chance to learn, speak, and live. I can be like Ruth, and so can you. I hope these words resonate in my daughter as my mother's words live in me, and she grows up knowing that she is smart, she is strong, and she can be a leader, just like Justice Ginsburg. Thank you, Justice Ginsburg, for everything you've done for me in my life. Hello, my name is Carrie Ann Wozniak, and I am an appellate lawyer with Ackerman LLP in Orlando, Florida, and I am also the Florida Bar Appellate Practice Section Treasurer. When I've reflected on the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'm often reminded of the relationship and friendship that she had with Justice Antonin Scalia. They often disagreed in opinions and at work, but they were still very, very good friends. And when I was reading um, the book on Justice Scalia's speeches that he's given called Scalia Speaks, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, introduces the book and also has a quote on the back of it. And the back quote says, If our friendship encourages others to appreciate that some very good people have ideas with which we disagree, and that despite differences, people of goodwill can pull together for the well-being of the institutions we serve in our country, I will be overjoyed, as I am confident Justice Scalia would be. Justice Scalia called their uh, friendship the Mutual Improvement Society. And when they would edit each other's opinions, um, Justice Scalia said that RBG would write comments like, this would be better if, instead of saying, no, this is wrong (laughs) on his opinions. And I hope that we all have people like that in our lives that are challenging us and making our opinions stronger and more well-rounded as individuals. Additionally, um, another item that I've been reflecting on this past week concerning RBG is her relationship with her husband, Marty Ginsburg. I read an article that talked about how every woman should have a Marty Ginsburg as their husband. He was so supportive of her, even in their early years of their marriage, um, when it wasn't common for women to go to law school and have a successful career outside of the outside of the household. But he supported her every step of the way, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court in such a very sweet way and, and loving way. And I think it's a good reminder that we should all appreciate and give thanks for the people that we have around us whether it's a spouse or other family or friends or just anyone. We can't do this career and this life on our own, and we should appreciate everything that we have. So thank you, RBG, for being a trailblazer and everything. And I hope you and Justice Scalia are having lots more debates and singing opera where you are now. So happy for the opportunity to share these powerful stories with you in remembrance of RBG. There's so many lessons to be learned from her, and so many have been covered by my guests. I want to talk a little bit about one that was touched on, and certainly it's not her defining characteristic, but it's one of the many things that we can take from her, and it feels important today. Justice Ginsburg served with the late Justice Antonin Scalia, another icon of the court. Not quite a pop culture meme, but a giant of jurisprudence too. 
It's well known that Justice Ginsburg was great friends with Justice Scalia, despite the fact that they had very, very different judicial philosophies and political beliefs. The two disagreed vigorously on some of the most important issues facing the court in this country. Large, irreconcilable differences. Women's rights. Abortion. Same-sex marriage. Presidential elections. And yet, they remained friends. Great friends. Friends who respected each other, who disagreed at work on fundamental world-changing issues, but welcomed debate and a civil discussion of differences. Not for a moment did either one think the other should be condemned or ostracized or canceled. RBG also had a great friendship with the court's other conservative icon, Justice Clarence Thomas. Justice Thomas recently wrote, As outstanding as she was as a judge, she was an even better colleague, unfailingly gracious, thoughtful, and civil. I had an opportunity at the court last year to see this for myself. I sat second chair for an argument at the court, and I had the opportunity to see RBG and the whole court in person from the council tables. Justice Ginsburg had been recently in the hospital and looked a bit weak in her body, though sharp and quick with her questions. When the court closed, the justices leave in order of seniority, and Justice Thomas stopped and waited at the steps behind the bench for his friend, Justice Ginsburg, to take her hand and help her down the stairs. It was a simple gesture. I'm not sure it was even visible to most people in the courtroom, but it spoke volumes to me. We're at a point in this country where, whether we tend to agree more with Justice Thomas or more with Justice Ginsburg, we could take a joint lesson from them both. Thank you, Justice Ginsburg, for giving so much for so long to a country that you loved. Thanks to all my guests for being on the podcast. Their contact information will be in the show notes. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice, and nothing that I say or my guests say should be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. My contact information is always in the show notes. Please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Please take a moment. Add it to your contacts so you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. The next episode of the podcast will release in two weeks. I hope that you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. 